I've heard it made. So it must be good. Well, if you've ever maybe been in a musical yourself or a play or part of a production, you know that that stuff just doesn't happen overnight. You know that there are times in the life of a production you go, is this really going to work? Is it going to look as magnificent as Wicked does? Does it look as magnificent as people say, wow, what an amazing production. There are moments in the life of a play or a production that you say, that staging is not going to come together. Or that person doesn't know their lines yet. Is this really going to happen? Or their director has a really bad day, is yelling, and you're like, is the show really going to go on? Well, that's true for many things. From a football team saying, are we going to make it for the season? To maybe uh, you doing a concert um, recital, is it really going to come together? To a project at work, that all that goes into it, is it really going to come off? And that is the same question that we have to ask today in our passage in 2 Samuel chapter 2. Is the kingdom of David, is it really going to come together? I mean, it doesn't look like it in what we're going to be reading in chapters 2 through 4. Is it really going to be okay? Because what we see here, it seems like some people don't know their lines. (laughs) Seems like the staging hasn't been put together. And if we then take this from David in 2 Samuel chapter 2 and then kind of play it down to us today, we might ask the same questions. Look what's going on in our world, in our nation. Look what's happening around us, this chaos. Is there really a kingdom to come? Is there really hope for humanity? And if we dare to go from there to our own lives, we could ask the same questions. Is there a good end for me? Is there really hope for my life and what I'm going through? I don't feel like I know the lines. (laughs) I don't feel like I'm prepared. I feel like I'm around in chaos and God promises me hope. Is it really going to be okay? Well, the answers to this question are found in our passage today, 2 Samuel chapter 2. Answers to a kingdom to come that seems to be on shaky ground. Follow me together, 2 Samuel chapter 2. I'm not going to read all of this this morning, but a section of it. It's printed in your worship guide. We're going to look at verses 1 through 11. And when I'm done, I'm going to re- say the word of the Lord. The response is, thanks be to God. After this, David inquired of the Lord, Shall I go up into any of the cities of Judah? And the Lord said to him, Go up. And David said, To which shall I go up? And he said, To Hebron. So David went up there, and his two wives also, um, Ahamanim and Jezreel and Abigail, the widow of Nabal, And the men of Judah, and there they anointed David king over the house of Judah. When they told David, it was the men who buried Saul. 
and he made from and Benjamin. Ishbosheth's son was. If we're going to talk about a Bible mascot, man, that's David, right? That's the guy we want to follow. And here are, we're going to see the golden years of the reign of Israel. But seldom do we think about how he actually got to that place. How he got to get into those golden years of Israel where everyone said, David is amazing, his kingdom, may it, may it never end. We see that it is not smooth sailing. It didn't just happen overnight. So a little background, if some of you are not familiar with the Old Testament and maybe even King David, this is 1000 BC. And this is in what is modern day Israel. And Israel was divided in 12 tribes. And these 12 tribes were attacked by many nations around them. And they were pleading for a king to help consolidate them and to help ward off those that were around them. And God warned them. He said, you do not need a king like the other nations. I will be your king. But they continued to plead. And so in their pleading, they got a king like the other kings, Saul. And Saul, as they found out, was wicked. And then God, in his grace in the midst of Saul's wickedness, provided a king of his own choosing. A king that was after his own heart, David. And we see the rise of David in 1 Samuel. Saul tried to kill David. David runs. Now Saul, as we come into 2 Samuel, is dead. But you think, here, now David will reign. He will be king. No, it's not just over yet. It's just beginning. There is major problems in Israel. The Philistines have invaded. They have taken a lot of the northern kingdom at this time. There are enemies about. And Saul's dynasty has not given up. Ishbosheth, his son, has claimed the crown. And the question throughout Israel is this, who is the king? Who is the true king now? And this, the first four chapters of the book of 2 Samuel, is the struggle for the kingdom. If you want a thesis, if you want the main idea, this is it. Even through quarrel, human ambition, and vengeance, the kingdom of God will still come. Even through quarrel, human ambition, and vengeance, the kingdom of God still comes. And that's the question we have to ask. Is the show going to come together? Is the team with all these practices that's in trouble, are they finally going to show up for game day? Will the turmoil that is in Israel now reign forever? 
or will the kingdom come? So let's find out together, shall we? And we need to look at what the right kingdom is through this chaos. And what we see in this chapter 2 is a division between what the right kingdom is and the wrong kingdom. We see, as we look at David, we see the right approach, the kingdom of God. And as we look at the other characters, Ishbosheth, Abner, Joab, we see the wrong ways to go about the kingdom of God. Now, I just want to give a little caveat here. That doesn't mean that David is without error. Yes, David was a man after God's own heart. But that did not equal him to being the son of God. David points to the true king. And he gives us glimpses of the kingdom of God. But his kingdom is not the final kingdom. We see a little bit of this early on. Maybe it raised red flags in you. He says, so David went up there and his two wives also were like, whoa, he has multiple wives. What's going on here? It's, I encourage you as you're reading through 2 Samuel, I encourage all of you, read this book. It's so fascinating. Go through the book of 2 Samuel. But as you read this book and you go, I'm reading these things. Does that mean I'm supposed to live this way? I mean, David had multiple wives. Is that okay for me to have multiple wives? It's important when you read narrative, there's a difference between being descriptive and being prescriptive. It's a difference between reading and saying, oh, this is describing the situation and versus saying, oh, it's describing the situation. I should act in this way. So how do we therefore find out what is described is something that is prescribed that we should do? Well, one thing we do is we weigh what's done next to the law. What does the law say that should be done? Well, one thing in Deuteronomy, it says that kings should not have multiple wives. And David did. So he's erring against what God's law is. Two, we see the ramifications of when you act in certain ways. Back then, it made sense to have multiple wives as kings because what you tried to do is you picked up new wives or concubines to be able to consolidate the kingdom. So you take someone from another tribe and marry them and bring them into the fold of the kingdom in order so that there is unity between the tribes. And that's what David has done. He's taken wives from different tribes of Israel to be able to unify the kingdom. What is ironic is the actual attempt to unify the kingdom by having wives from different tribes actually doesn't unify the kingdom. As we go on in 2 Samuel, we see it divides the kingdom. And we'll talk about the crazy family dysfunction that is David. As we go on, it's insane. But a lot of that happens because David was unwise in taking custom rather than following God's laws. Okay, that's a little caveat. I'm done with that. So even though through some of David's errors, God's grace and his promise on him allows David's kingdom to come into being. And we want to be able to see the comparison between David and his kingdom and these other people in Ishbosheth. So what does he do? Well, he realized that Saul is dead, and his first inclination is this. After this, David inquired of the Lord. Very ironic, because the word in Hebrew, inquired, actually has that root of Saul in it. 
the name Saul means to inquire, to ask of the Lord. After this, David sawed of the Lord, which is very funny. What Saul could not do, asking of the Lord, David did. He went to God and asked him what he should do. And there is a great comparison between how David's kingdom starts and then how Ishbosheth's kingdom starts. Ishbosheth's kingdom doesn't start by him inquiring of the Lord and saying, it starts by his general saying, You should be the king. This is a strategic thing that makes sense. So Abner comes and takes Ishbosheth and makes him king. See, in all this Philistine turmoil, and who should be the king, there are two different approaches. Abner says, what's strategic? We'll take the king. We'll take this new capital of the northern kingdom. David says, God, what should I do? Where should I go? He inquires the Lord, and the Lord says, go up, <laughs> seeking me, and also going high, which is Hebron is the, the tallest location in the southern kingdom. Go to Hebron. This is where you should reign from. I don't want to be trite in making an application quickly to this, but I will say this. If you are having a hard time seeing the kingdom of God in your life or seeing any hope in your life, David gives some very <laughs> key ways to go about finding that. Ask God. I know it sounds very simple and simplistic, but many of us are scattering around trying to organize things in the most strategic way and we have forgot the most simple question. God, what should I do? Lead me. Now, I will readily admit, God has never spoken to me in an audible voice. Maybe he's spoken to you in an audible voice. That's great if he has, okay? He has never spoken to me in that way. So how can I inquire of God? How will he answer me? Well, he has given us his word. That is a great way to go to the Lord. To read his word. To discern from there. The other is he's given us the Holy Spirit to lead us and to guide us. And to ask of the Holy Spirit, help me, my conscience, lead me where I am supposed to go. That just doesn't mean in big decisions. It can mean in just life in general. What step next? What should I do here? How are you going to help me today? And you see, the kingdom of God is one that lets God lead. And that is what happens with David. Well, next we see there's another precarious situation that enters in. This town, Jabesh Gilead, which is a town in the north, had a lot of affiliation with Saul. Saul had saved them in the past. And so these people who loved Saul went to the Philistines who had taken the body of Saul and hung it over the wall. They went 20 miles away, maybe in the darkness of night in some adventure, to steal the body, to take it back. They take Saul and take him back and bury him. Now here is the division, right? David's wondering, okay, Here's other people that are siding with Saul, but I'm supposed to be the king. What should I do to these people in the northern city of Jabesh Gilead? Well, David's you know, kingdom ways is not by how dare you or let's go to war against them. 
Instead, he commends their faithfulness. Their said in the Hebrew. Their love, their loyalty to Saul. And he says, I hope that same love and loyalty you showed to Saul, the Lord would show to you. You see, David was a good politician. Huh? I said it out loud. David was a good politician. Politics is not in and of itself a bad word. We have a negative connotation to it many times. But the idea of unifying, of leading well, of creating good laws, that is not a bad thing. Actually, that's a God-ordained thing. And David is doing it in the right way. You see, David does politics in the right way. It says that the people followed David versus Ishbosheth, he reigned. The people of Judah followed. The people followed him because he was a good king. While Ishbosheth reigned on high. Aaron's grandfather uh, was a professor at the University of Wisconsin. And he was there uh, in the late 60s when uh, Madison was in chaos. <laughs> uh, tanks were rolling down the street. There were many protests. It was crazy on that campus in the late 60s. And Aaron's grandfather was a World War II vet. And here he is, a professor walking through campus, seeing the riots, seeing the protests, seeing the speakers. He stayed and listened to one of the speeches by one of the protesters. And afterwards, as the man stepped off stage, Aaron's grandfather went up to him and said, here's my card. Here's my address. I want to hear more from you. Will you come to my house for dinner? The man came uh, to Aaron's grandfather's house and had dinner. And and they had a wonderful dinner with Betty and John and, and just listening. He just listened to him and heard where he was coming from. When the man left campus, one day John was leaving his house and there on his doorstep were a dozen roses and a note. And it was from this man. And in the note he said, thank you for listening to me. Many did not, but you did. You know, things in our nation look unstable. Many of us say the nation is going down the drain. We see posts of our friends on Facebook and say, how could they be all the way over there? Whether they're conservative or liberal or Bears fans. I don't know what it is that they post. (laughs) But the thing is, David saw something valuable in them. He saw that Jabesh Gilead, they had love and loyalty. That is a good thing. You know, our enemies, they're not in of itself wicked and bad. They want good things. Peace, justice, understanding, humility. They desire good things. The issue is they can only be found in God alone. 
But what we can do is we can resonate with them. You are desiring a good thing. I want to hear about this good thing that you want. But I want to tell you how it can ultimately be found in God, in His love, in His loyalty, in His hased. There is an enormous vacuum in America right now. A vacuum of peace, of peacemakers, of people that listen, people that are gracious, people that are good politicians. That vacuum should be filled by us. By us. We should be the first to listen. We should be the first to understand. We should be the first to say, you value good things. I want that too. Are you that person that listens well, that invites people into your home, whether they come from the left or the right or from the top or from the bottom, I don't know which way, but do you listen well? Well, there's people that don't believe in this kind of kingdom. They don't want David to reign. Abner, you know, first and foremost, and just putting it out there right away, says, I will not follow this king. And he openly rebels. He says, I will make Ishbosheth the king. And so he goes against David, you know, very blatantly. But that doesn't always happen with the kingdom. There's actually sometimes people that are even within David's kingdom, like Joab. They're under the reign of David, but they don't live like the kingdom of David. So there's open rebellion, and there's more subliminal rebellion. And in this next passage, we see this rebellion. It's written out here in the worship guide. I'm not going to read it all through. I'll just explain to you quickly. I'm going to explain three episodes that happen through chapter 2 all the way through chapter 4. I encourage you, if you want to read it later, you can do that. And this will kind of end this kind of section of chapter 1 through 4. So this is what happens. Abner takes the troops of the north and he goes to a strategic location called Gibeon. And Gibeon lies between the north and the southern kingdoms. And it's kind of a, an advancement to say who will take this strategic spot, either David's army or Ishbosheth's army. So he goes to Gibeon with his troops. And then Joab, David's general, maybe had word that this was happening. He had a shorter distance to get to Gibeon. So he meets Ishbosheth and his troops in Gibeon. Now you have to realize these guys are you know, under Israel together. They're kind of friends, you know? And so they sit around the pool and they talk, maybe talk about friends that they know, people, things like that. And maybe just like any kind of good competition, it kind of wells up. Well, who's really better? Is David's army better? Is Ishbosheth's army better? And they say, hey, I know what we should do to settle this. Let's have a sport. Let's have a game to settle who's better. You know, an octagon cage fight, if you will. 
So Ishbosheth chooses 12. David chooses 12. And they have this competition. Well, like any hot-blooded male, it gets out of control. You know, just like wrestling, you know, one minute, oh, we're just having a game, and next, helmets are coming off, you know, gloves are going off, fists are getting thrown. It gets crazy. And the craziness happens here that swords come out, and people start getting stabbed. And when it's all said and done, 24 people are dead. And then a battle ensues between Ishbosheth's army and, Dave, and, um, and David's army, or Joab, the general, and, and Abner. And the feud gets worse. Abner flees, and one of David's nephews runs after him. And Abner says, Stop running after me, but he keeps on pursuing. And then Abner, what he does is he takes his his spear, and either he just jams it in the ground as he's running after him, or maybe he just goes like this and stabs him with the end of the spear, Asael, and it goes right through his stomach and out his back. And then Joab, Asael's brother, comes, and all of them come, and they stay silent. They see what has happened. What had just become a little competition has been escalated. David's nephew is dead. Joab, the general's brother, is dead. And now, look as what has happened. And of course, they blame each other. It's your fault that this happened, Abner. No, Joab, it's your fault that has happened. And you can see through the next two episodes, this escalates. Abner knows that he has opened Pandora's box and Joab is a wrathful person, and he is worried. And he's also worried that Ishbosheth's kingdom is faltering. He's accused of sleeping with one of Ishbosheth's concubines. Ishbosheth confronts him. He uses an excuse to say, Okay, fine, I'll no longer be a part of your kingdom. He goes to David to say, David, I want to be a part of the winning side. Kind of some human ambition. Let me be a part of the winning side. I'll be a part of your side now, David. And so David welcomes him in. And Joab says, oh, I don't know about that. And then what happens is this. When Abner comes and David is gone, it's just Joab. Joab, you know, maybe puts his arm around Abner and says, oh, glad you're part of the kingdom, bro. Next thing you know, the sword or the little dagger comes out of Joab's hands, boom, right in to Abner's stomach. Revenge for the killing of his brother. You see, David's actions of peace are contrasted with Abner and Joab. Abner and Joab, they want to position, position themselves on the winning side. You know, Joab... He feels like he's on the winning side, but he wants the kingdom to look a certain way. The kingdom can't have these kinds of people. It's going to be full of revenge. I will kill him. Abner says, well, my side is losing, so I want to try to put myself in the right situation, show him on the winning side. These two characters, along with Ishbosheth, who's just kind of a pawn in the whole thing, 
They are all fighting and clawing and trying to do anything possible to be able to be a part of the kingdom that will finally reign over Israel. And you see, David is contrasted with it. David is on the winning side, not because he is the best, because he is the most powerful. He is on the winning side because he doesn't see his kingdom. He sees God's kingdom. You see, Joab and Abner, you know, they say, who's the winning side? Let's count how many people have died. Let's see who's better 12 on 12. But the thing is, what is shown by 12 dying, I think it's symbolic too. Abner has 12, Joab has 12. There's 12 tribes of Israel, right? (laughs) He says, listen, there is no winning side with Joab and Abner. There are no winners when you try to make the kingdom look like this. Instead, when you act like David and go to the Lord, you act in peace, you try to bring people in, you live by His commands, that is what the kingdom should look like. You know, there's another land like this, like Israel. It's a war between not just two houses, but seven houses. Alliances are made and broken. Everyone is vulnerable. Noble people are corrupt. You find in this kingdom that the ends do not justify the means. They don't fight over Jerusalem or Hebron. They fight over an iron throne. An iron throne in King's Landing. You know what I'm talking about? Some of you do. Some of you might be ashamed that you know what I'm talking about, right? (laughs) It's Game of Thrones. I mean, I got to talk about it because 25 million people in America watch Game of Thrones when it comes on. Next to the NFL playoffs, it's the most watched thing in America. Now, I'm not saying you shouldn't watch it. I'm not saying you should watch it, okay? I don't watch it. I'm not saying that it's bad to watch it, okay? Um, I'm just, you can make that decision in your conscience can itself, okay? But it definitely hits a nerve with people in America. It seems to resonate with people here. I think it resonates because it seems to be true to life and the human condition, especially maybe how the human condition is is in American politics in this time of day. The human condition says, I have a right to what is mine. Good people get corrupted. It echoes that idea, no matter how good you might think someone is, they are tainted. They have problems. Here's the thing. Many of us feel nowadays that we live in that chaotic world. In a world where we wonder, where is the kingdom? Is it going to come? Is there some rules we should be playing by? Or is it just clans and tribes just fighting for what they want? Trying to get the iron throne. 
trying to be on top. I just got to position myself in the right way. Sure, I care about Jesus, but really I care about my own and I've got to get it. You know, with all this chaos that's around me, all these things that are happening, I wonder, is it going to come together? God's kingdom. I know one thing, I've got to get respect, right? That's what Abner and Joab got to get. Respect, who's better, who's on the winning side. So I'm going to fight right back to get my respect. I want to make sure I'm on the right team, you know? I want to make sure I have the right people around me. You know, if I'm picking teams to who should be in my life, I want to make sure I pick the right people to be on my team, right? They got to look good. They got to help me advance. They got to do these things for me. That's how friendships work, right? Because the world is chaotic, I've got to have the right team around me. I've got to seek justice, right? If someone wrongs me, if something wrong is against me, the kingdom of this world, it works like this. Get vengeance. Get back at them. The way of Joab. Is that the way God's kingdom works? Come on. I'm not malicious about it, Dan. I just want to provide for my family. I just want to protect myself. I just want what is good. I do wonder if you're just living the Joab and Abner way of life. You see, the way of the kingdom is realizing that God fights for you. I don't need respect in this world. God's the one that strove for me. Actually, the very name Israel means that. God's striving for you. That I don't need to angle to get the right people on my team. That actually, I should look after the least and the lost. That I can befriend people that might not advance me at all. Because, you know what? That's the way of the kingdom. You know, the answer is not just getting back at someone that has done me wrong. But instead, it's to love my enemies. David received Abner back into the fold. He allowed Jabesh Gilead. He does this constantly to his enemies. Recently, there was an article published about Game of Thrones. And I think it could be published about 2 Samuel chapter 2. says this, pursuing virtuous ends by vicious means can so transform a person that the ends themselves change. Virtue is redefined and ultimately it is lost. Chaos was all around David. The kingdom was divided. But he didn't go after it in malicious ways. He didn't just try to grab what he wanted. Instead, he trusted in the Lord. He went to him. He trusted 
his ways of bringing in the kingdom. My wife has read the Game of Thrones books. And I've talked to other friends. There's a Game of Thrones game that I play with friends. I'm a nerdy. Deal with that. And the question that gets risen as you talk about Game of Thrones is, why must there be a single king? Can't just the different regions govern themselves? Can't any great house lay equal claim to the Iron Throne? It's really not a new question, is it? Do we need a single king? Come on, do I need someone to guide me? To reign over me? Do we need some kingdom to come? I hope in what you see in our world, what you see in reading Game of Thrones, what you see in reading 2 Samuel, that we are a mess. Even David. We need a good king. We need a kingdom to come. Because we cannot do it on our own. You know, the people of Israel, they were just blown away when this guy came. He comes and he starts talking in language that's different than any of the prophets, any of the kings, any of the leaders before. And he uses this language over and over again. He talks about the kingdom of God. In fact, the first thing he says in his ministry is this, repent for the kingdom of heaven has come near. And then this guy keeps on talking. He says, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom. He heals diseases and sickness among people. He says, the kingdom of God is like a great treasure that when you find it, you give everything away. The kingdom of God, kingdom of God. He talks about it all the time. Why? Who is this guy? You see, he's the greater David. He is the king that David pointed forward to. He showed a kingdom to come, not ushered in by man, by ushered in by the God-man. And he showed us a picture of beauty and amazingness, a picture of a team that puts it all together in practice for the game. A picture of a play like Wicked where you just get blown away. Look how gorgeous and how magnificent it is. He gives us a picture of how this world is supposed to be. There's a Scottish man. He went to France for vacation for the first time. First time ever to France. And he had been told that France and its vineyards are glorious. But he went and he saw the vineyards. And they were gnarly. They were brown and these things were black and they had cut the top of them, of these, of these vineyards. And these are supposed to be glorious and beautiful. Look at how gnarly. This is like the worst looking thing ever. I mean, even the apple trees and the peach trees, they look good. But this vineyard looks horrible. 
And then his friend wrote back to him after he described what these vineyards had looked like. And his friend said this, Have no doubt, in a few months, they'll be covered in grapes. They'll be glorious. They'll be beautiful. And his friend was right. These gnarly, ugly-looking things produced amazing fruit. David and this kingdom right now looks gnarly. (laughs) It looks ugly. His kingdom is met with rebellion and opposition. The same is true for David it is today. This conflict continues. But Jesus writes us. God writes us. Have no doubt. Have no fear. I will come. My kingdom will come in power, in glory, and it will be beautiful. Do not be discouraged. Hebron and Judah in the kingdom will fill the whole earth. Well, Ishbosheth died. Abner was gone. The tribes of Israel came together and anointed David the king. And you see, these actions, this narrative just gives richness and meaning to what the true king says to us. Doesn't it? Think about the story of David and then think about what Jesus says to us. Seek first the kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be given to you. Do you believe that, Christian? Do you believe that his kingdom will come? Pursue him in all the chaos of your life, in all the chaos of this world. Because surely, through the quarrels and human ambition and through vengeance, his kingdom will reign. Let's pray.